Well, again, if you don't know me, my name is Clayton Fraley. I am the youth director here at Antioch. This is great. I love our youth students, and I know this is a family Sunday, so we have a lot of children in the room. And so if you want to sneak peek at what youth is like, if you're um, kindergarten and older, this is what youth is like. This is how it's going to be. Um, so I'm really excited to get to speak this morning. Um, again, my name is Clayton Fraley. I think we have a picture of my family. Um, if you don't know us, so obviously that's me, and that is my wife, Jordan, who is our children's director, and she's wonderful. Sadly, she's not here. She's with some of our students at youth, or at kids camp. We have youth camp in a couple weeks. So she can't be here this morning, and then this is our one-year-old now daughter named Margo. Margo is great. Hopefully, she's still taking a nap. Um, and then we're having another baby in August, so we don't know what it is. We're excited to have another kid in our family, so it's going to be so fun. Well, again, if you were not here last week um, and you're wondering why we're in these tables that are in circles, um, we're going through a series this summer called Together. And so the point is that um, we want to exhort one another and build one another up. Tyler talked to a couple weeks ago about how we don't want to just come in and receive, but we want to come in and build each other up. And so that's why we're doing this in these tables this summer. And in together, right, we want to be together as a church. We want to encourage one another. And so we're going through a lot of these different let us statements. So we're going through the book of Hebrews, and the writer of Hebrews says this phrase, let us. And so each week, we're breaking down one of these let us statements. So this week, we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 4. So if you have a Bible, we're going to open to Hebrews chapter 4. We're going to be reading verses 12 through 14. That's what we're focusing on. Hebrews 4, verse 12 through 14. Okay, in verse 12 says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. Amen. Okay, so the let us phrase that we're going to be focusing on this morning is let us hold fast to our confession. Something I do with our youth group a lot is that whenever we hear a phrase, um, that sounds maybe like Christianese or we want to just understand it better, right? So hold fast our confession, right? It's something we've heard a lot maybe, but we really want to break it down. And so I looked up the definition of holding fast. What does this even mean? And the Collins Dictionary says, if you hold fast to a principle or idea, you do not change your mind, even though others are trying to persuade you. I'll read it again. It says, if you hold fast to a principle or idea, you do not change your mind, even though others are trying to persuade you. So what we're talking about here is endurance or persistence or perseverance in our faith and in our belief. And there's people and things and circumstances in our life that want to try to convince us to give up our belief, to give up our faith. If you were here last week, Billy talked about the context of the book of Hebrews and who the writer was talking to. The writer here is talking to Jewish Christians in the city of Rome in the period of the early church. 
And at the time, Christianity was illegal. Emperor Nero had made it illegal. And Christians were being persecuted and some of them killed and beaten and put in prison. And so what Billy was saying was that there was this huge temptation for the believers to give up their faith. Judaism at the time was not illegal. And so these Jewish Christians faced the temptation to go back to their synagogues, go back to their former ways and renounce Jesus. And so the writer of Hebrews is spending a lot of time convincing the believers that we need to hold fast to our confession. We need to hold fast to our faith. Now, throughout chapters three and four, the writer spends a lot of time talking about entering into God's rest. So you can imagine, right, that the people at the time, they were facing persecution, their friends were being beaten, killed, put in prison. And so it's hard in their day-to-day -day situation to think, man, this is what God has for me. This is what God wants for me. I should just go back to Judaism and receive that comfort, receive the earthly pleasure of not being persecuted. But the writer spends a lot of time in chapters three and four talking about the Israelites in the wilderness and how they were meant to enter into God's rest, into his salvation. The salvation for the Israelites at the time was entering into the promised land. And so he talks about the belief of the Israelites, or rather the unbelief, is what kept them from entering into God's rest in his promised land. So he spends a lot of time talking about how these people had been freed from Egypt, right? And they'd seen the miracles and the works of God in Egypt. They had seen him do the plagues and free them from captivity and slavery. And they have seen him part the Red Sea and how they walk through the Red Sea and the seas part. And then they get to the other side, right? They're free. They're in the wilderness and they're going to the promised land. And then if you read through Exodus, it seems like within days, they begin to doubt God, right? So they've just seen the acts of God and the wonders of God. But within days, they're crying out and they're saying, Lord, we don't have food. We don't have water. What is happening? It would be better for us if we were in slavery, right? And so what happens, right? So they get quell and they get this water from the rock. But what the writer is saying is due to their unbelief, and they consistently showed this throughout the books of Exodus, their unbelief in God is what kept them from entering into the promised land, entering into the salvation of God and the rest of God for them, right? So it says that, Everyone of that generation, except for two people, Joshua and Caleb, were not able to enter into the promised land, right? Even Moses was not able to enter into the promised land, the salvation and rest of God. And so I think the writer is comparing the Israelites at the time with these Jewish Christians, and he's exhorting them and saying, hey, do not be like the Israelites who knew the promises of God and had seen him move in miraculous ways. Do not give up your unbelief so that you do not get to enter into God's rest, right? Our belief as Christians is that we have this eternal view that God's promise for us and his power working, it's present for us today, but also we will be with him in eternity. And so the writer is exhorting these believers, do not give up your faith. Hold fast to your confession so that you can enter into God's salvation at the end of your life, right? And he spends time talking about these works and how if we like, lay down our works at the end of our life, we get to enter into God's rest. But we have to hold fast to our confession. Consistently, the writer makes a point in chapters three and four to reference Psalm 95. I think it's gonna be on the screen. And he's quoting David and he says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart as in the rebellion. 
So we have a responsibility to watch over our own hearts so that they do not become hardened because these hardened hearts lead to unbelief. Again, he says, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. He's talking about the Israelites in the wilderness, how their hearts became hardened to God and they're in this rebellious season. And this is important for us to understand because there is an enemy who is actively trying to persuade us each day to not hold fast to our belief and to give into the idea, the ideas of this world so that we do not enter into God's rest. Again, we look at that definition of holding fast. It's we, do, we hold fast to a principle or idea. We don't change our mind, even though others are trying to persuade us. Now, those others, they can be other people. They can also be circumstances or things in our life that is easier for us to say, let's trust in the ways of the world before we trust in the things of God, right? So there's all these different circumstances that happen in our life that maybe try to persuade us to give up our faith. And so we know, right, that again, there's an enemy that wants to persuade us to give up our faith. And throughout scripture, we see that our belief is what allows us to enter into God's rest and his salvation. Again, the writer spends so much time in chapter three talking about the belief of the Israelites, rather their unbelief that kept them from entering into the promised land. And if you read through scripture, we know that our belief enables us to receive salvation. John 3, 16, one of the most famous passages, arguably the most well-known, says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. So our belief is crucial. It allows us to enter his rest and into his salvation. Our belief doesn't save us, right? Jesus saves us. Jesus came and he lived a perfect life. He died on the cross and he rose from the grave. And he is the one that our salvation comes from. He has freed us from sin and slavery, but we have to believe in him. The work of Jesus was sufficient for all, but without believing in Jesus, we don't get to receive that grace. We don't get to receive that forgiveness and that freedom. So the question is, right, how do we do it? Something, again, I talk about a lot with our youth is that we can understand the question, right? A lot of times we read through the Bible and we see these commands and we see like, do this, do this. But what one, we have to understand what it's saying. But two, how do we do it, right? That sometimes can be the stumbling block in our mind is I understand what they're saying, but how do we do it? So when I read this passage, there are two things that stand out to me. The two things are his word and his presence his word and his presence. So we're gonna break down the word first. So in verse 12 and 13 of chapter four, it says, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. This shows, I believe, that if we are in the word, the Lord God will search our hearts and know us. He will know us truly. The writer spends so much time in the previous chapter talking about not having a hardened heart, then says in this section, talking about the word, how it pierces our hearts and our souls, and it knows the intentions of our heart. If we want to protect ourselves from having a hardened heart, we have to be in his word. As James says, the word of God is like a mirror that we see ourselves clearly in the eyes of God and in his eyes, we view ourselves as we're rightly to be viewed. 
And so we have to be in his word to know the intentions of our heart, right? That's why we talk about spending time with God and being in his word so that we can know what's happening in our heart. But the second thing is his presence, right? So it doesn't just end in reading his word. We have to get into his presence. Going down into verse 16, it says, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Okay, this is another one of those let us statements. And in following weeks, we're gonna break down this passage more specifically and more in depth, but I wanted to touch on it because I think it connects to what the writer is trying to say. He says, after we spend time in the word and our hearts are revealed, what do we do? We draw near to God. We receive mercy and grace to help us in our time of need. In his presence, we're given mercy and forgiveness, right? We come to him, we know our hearts, we know the state of our being, and then we draw near to the throne of God and we receive his mercy and we receive his forgiveness. But it doesn't even stop there. It says he gives us grace to help us in our time of need. So again, he's talking to these, to these Jewish Christians and he's saying, get in the word, know the intention of your heart and then draw near to God because he will give you mercy, he'll give you forgiveness and he will give you his grace to help you in our time of need. Again, we aren't left alone to figure it out, but we're given help in holding fast. A passage that is so profound to me whenever I'm faced with a command of God or an action in the Bible, and we read this a lot in our youth group, is John 14, verse 15 through 16. This passage helps me to remember that God is here to help us. He has given us a helper. So John 14, verse 15 through 16, it says, if you love me, you will keep my commands. Now, if we stop there, right, that feels hard to do. That feels like an unattainable level. And in my own story, in my own life, that has been a hard passage for me to grasp of like, man, if I love Jesus, I would obey everything he said. If only I loved him more, then I would be obedient, right? But Jesus does not stop there when he's talking, right? What does he say in the next passage or the next verse, verse 16? He said, and I will ask the father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Going into 17, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive. So what Jesus is saying is, I've given you these things to do. I've given you these commands, but I actually don't want you to do it on your own. I want you to still come to me and I will give you another helper who is sent from the father, the spirit of all truth. So we go back to this passage in Hebrews four and he says, I will give you grace to help in your time of need. He will give us his Holy Spirit, the spirit of truth to help us hold fast. Holding fast to our belief in our faith enables us to enter into God's salvation and his rest. At times and in seasons in our life, having this endurance or the perseverance and persistence in seeking God may feel hard or may feel easy in different seasons, but we know that if we are in his word and we're drawing near to his presence, he will give us the things we need. He will give us mercy and forgiveness. He'll give us grace to help us. And we have the Holy Spirit who lives inside of us, who is the spirit of truth who's coming and will always be with us. It says in that passage, he will be with us forever.